Welcome, welcome, Clemson University. How are you guys doing tonight? Woo. Excited, excited. Uh, man, I am honored. When I say that I am honored, um, it is truly a privilege to be here with you guys tonight. Um, be invited back to be here with you guys in the very first FCA of the year. Um, man, I, my wife and I, we, we get to serve at Renovation Church in Simpsonville. Good, they have two of you, cool. Um, and uh, we both graduated from the University of South Carolina, so I'm going to get that out there and just let it sit. I know, I know. Hey, I know you guys won the national championship, but I'm just saying that the women's track and field team looks pretty good this year, okay? So we're, we're, we're in the competition for that. But no, we are, we are honored, um, honored to be here tonight because it's a, uh, man, it's a very start. It's a very start of things. How many freshmen in the house tonight? Awesome, man, welcome. Um, I would say that, that you have chosen an, an incredible thing to start your year off with uh, being here. But man, what an what a awesome thing. So there's, there's like these important moments in your life, like these very first, like your first week at college. That's a huge one, right? What about, what about your, uh, the first, when you first got your license? That little bit of independence when you could drive no longer with mom and dad. Or what about your first date? Some of you are still waiting for that one. But, you know, your first date, you had butterflies. You, you, you didn't know whether your, your breath was smelling. It was just, you were, you were a wreck. You, were, you, were, you didn't know what was going to happen. But there's these, like, important moments in your life where, where things are, are, are new, where they're, like, they're shaping who you are. What about for anyone who's ever been in a fight, your first fight? I know no one else has been in a fight. I was, I was in one fight my entire life, apart from I had a brother, so we fought all the time. But... I was in one fight, and I remember it vividly. I was in the fifth grade. And uh, I, was, I started out not being in this fight. It was two other people, and they were just like every awesome middle school fight, they were walking in circles, daring each other to hit each other, right? No, you hit me. No, no you go first. And they were going around, and I was the class clown, and so I jump into the middle of it. I'm like, can't we all just get along? And pretty soon... One of the guys has backed out of the circle, and now I'm in the middle, and the dude's squaring off at me. And I'm like, what just happened? I came in to make a joke, and now apparently I'm in the middle of a fight. And so he's talking smack. We're going back and forth. And then it, was, it wasn't like it was in slow-mo. It was actually slow motion. And he, he threw a punch, and it landed, like, on the side of my neck, which is just weird. Like, you don't even get points for that one. And he hit me, and then, like, things got broken up, and teachers came out there. And I was super brave and I was crying in the principal's office because I thought I was going to get in trouble. I thought I was going to expel. And I was like, I didn't do anything. And I'm just, yeah, I don't know, super confession starting out the gate here. But like it was, it was one of those moments where I walked into it and I had no idea the weight of what was about to happen. I thought I was just going to make a joke and I found myself in the middle of a, I don't even know if you could call it a fight. It was like a, just a, a slap fight or something. But sometimes there is moments in our life, there are thresholds, there are seasons, there are things that we walk into that the tragedy would be to walk into them not understanding the gravity and what is at stake for what's about to happen. And for most of you right now, you're in the middle of one of the most important seasons of your life. You're in this threshold, you're, you're, you're about to begin college. Some of you, this is day two, like this is... You, you're fresh out of mom and dad's house. For some of you, you're right in the middle of it. 
for some of you in this chapter, you're just, you keep gluing more and more pages at the end of it. You're, you're trying to stretch this thing out. You're on your eighth year and not the doctor kind. You know, you're just, you're just prolonging this thing as long as mom and dad will write checks. But wherever you are in the middle, the beginning, towards the end of this journey, it is an incredibly important one. Because I, I think there's, there's several things that happen which make it unique. One is you, you now have freedom and independence that you didn't have at home. And so that's a, that's a, that's a big weight, that's a big thing that you're learning to navigate through. Uh, the other one is, is, let's be honest, you're here for a reason, to study, right? To, to hopefully like land a job one day. And so you're, you're in the middle of choosing this path of what you're gonna walk down for a career. You're also at this intersection of, of being in this new environment and new, new relationships, new, new rhythms and, and like everything is, is new and sometimes even new beliefs. And then the, the fourth thing is that you've been plucked out of, let's say a very safe and comfortable environment and you're dropped into this new place and you're learning how to navigate physically, emotionally and spiritually. Um, and, and, I, and I say this next statement not to try to make something grandiose, not to try to make something epic that's not, but because I wholeheartedly believe it, I have seen it, and I have walked through it myself. Is that this next season of your life has the potential to define you or to derail you. It truly does. This, this next season that you are walking through has the possibility, has the gravity, has the weight to either be detrimental or to be life-bringing and life-giving in you. I know for me it was. Like I said, we went to the University of South Carolina and, and going through college, going through those four years of my life um, shaped me. You know, I, I have the privilege, I get to do student ministry. Um, this summer we actually got to start up a little college ministry in our house and I got to hang out with some college students and just like kind of invest into this season, not out of some wealth of knowledge I have, but just out of experience. And, and college for me was one of the most fundamental years of my life. Not just in the profession that I would choose, because I didn't study ministry. So like I studied hospitality, you connect those dots, all right. And, and walking through that, but Something happens in this crucible of this intersection of, of new freedoms and new discoveries and your own decisions. And for me, it was, it was gaining a depth of who God is. And from that, learning who God says that I am. And so I, I encourage you these next few years as you transition Anytime that you're, you're about to transition, anytime you find yourself on a threshold of walking from one season, one chapter to the next, beginning another one, we should always do it with caution. Not, not with fear, but with, with wisdom, with purpose. And we see this throughout scripture, actually. We see throughout scripture that anytime people of God would get to an intersection where they're about to embark on something new, uh, where they're about to go from one place to another, where they're about to take on something new, they have these moments, these kind of put up or shut up moments, if you will. These moments where they, they, they put things aside and, and they, they heed to caution and to wisdom. And to say, hey, we're on the threshold of, of something possibly changing us. 
we should look at it differently. So I want you to, if you brought your Bible with you, if you brought your phone with you, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. Because we're going to see one of those moments tonight as we dig into God's word. But let's give some setup because I'm ADD and I can't just jump into a conversation. So if, you, if you're familiar with the story of God's people, the Israelites, they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Right? God, God shows up onto the scene and, and brings Moses in to be, to be a leader to help lead God's people out of captivity and out of slavery. And so they see the hand of God. And God sends plagues and God, there's a pillar of fire and the, the Red Sea is parted. And, and Pharaoh lets God's people go. And they're, they're wandering to a place that God has prepared for them, this, this awesome place. Not just like a, your own shared apartment with a common bathroom, but a, an incredible place. A place that's flowing with milk and honey. It's an abundant land. There's, there's houses there that you're not going to have to build. There's vineyards that you're not going to have to plant. And so he's saying, hey, I'm taking you from captivity, from slavery into this promised land. But there's a journey that they, the people go on. And for 40 years they wander through the desert. And God is teaching them and God is instructing them. And the most important theme that we see in this transition period is not just the Israelites getting out of Egypt. But the most important thing that God is working on is their hearts. And is getting the Egypt out of the Israelites. And God is refining his people. And so here they are. They've, they've walked into the promised land. They've driven out the inhabitants. They've taken the land that God said to take. And so Joshua is the leader who's led them into this. And they're, they're settling down. And this is the end of Joshua's life. He's, he's lived well. He's, he's followed the Lord. And so he gathers the leaders and, and God's people together. And he gives them one last challenge before he knows he's about to die. And so this is the context in which we see what Joshua challenges the people with from the Lord. Verse 14 in Joshua 24. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Then the people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes as we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies. He preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. He tells them to make a decision. He says, hey, you're about to settle into this place that God has for you. So make a decision. Who you are going to worship? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to live your life for in this next season, this next chapter as a people? Of course, they replied, God, we're, we're going to serve the Lord. Like we, we, we got to see the miraculous things. We heard the stories. We, we know what was taking place. So if, of course, we're going to serve the Lord. But remember, they're, they're entering into this new land. And often how we choose to respond to responsibility is a good indication of how we're going to respond to freedom in the future. And so these, these people, they, they make a decision. They had, I mean, think about it. Before, they, they saw God as their provider. 
Like they, they actually, they trusted God as their provider because he was their only provider. They didn't have food in the desert. So God sends down manna every day on the, the desert floor and they gather it together. So like in the wilderness, they had to trust God as their provider. But now they're going into a land where they are free to trust God as their provider. You see the difference? And unfortunately, we see in just a couple of chapters later in Judges 2, we pick up the story when Joshua dies and, and the people serve the Lord faithfully. They do. But then something tragic happens. It says, then after Joshua died, after those godly leaders died, there was a generation who rose up. And it was a generation who didn't acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. Meaning a generation grew up who had borrowed faith. A generation grew up who, who knew the concept and was very familiar with the idea of God. But did not know the person of God. And there's a dramatic difference. And in fact, this isn't the only account that we see of these same situations being played out. We see it if you, if you jump ahead to, to Kings, you see Elijah on, on Mount Carmel. If you watch Vezzy Tales, you've seen it, right? Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and he, he gives them the same challenge. Just like Joshua said, hey, who are you going to serve? Pick. And Elijah's saying, look, quit dancing around. Pick a side. If you're going to worship Baal, then worship Baal. But if you're going to worship God, then worship God. But I don't have time for you to play around and just keep picking sides. We, we see this theme, this thread throughout Scripture, and then we see another account of it in Revelation 3. Revelation 3, Jesus is speaking to a church. I know I'm, I know I'm covering a lot of ground, but I promise it's going to make sense in just a second. In Revelation 3, Jesus is speaking to a church of Laodicea. It's the background of this church, or this, this city. It was a very wealthy city. It was a city who was very self-sufficient. They, they exported black wool. They, they exported their, this, this eye ointment that they had discovered. They were, they were well-to-do. In fact, in 6080, there was an earthquake that almost demolished the city, and they didn't want help from anyone. They're like, no, we're going to rebuild it ourselves. They were a very prideful city. The only problem with this city was their water supply. The city to the south had a cold water source. It was a cold spring. In the city, about five, six miles to the north had a hot spring, but they had no water. They didn't have an adequate water supply. So they built a series of aqueducts, these wooden aqueducts that would pipe the hot spring water all the way down to this city. Which also, though, made them susceptible to siege. Because they had enemies, and when their enemies would come in, they would surround the city, and it would be easy to cut off the water supply. And so what this city, what this people was known for, is they were known for, for always being willing to compromise. They were always willing to accommodate and to negotiate instead of fight. So that's the, that's the nature, that's the demeanor of the, the people that are in this church in which Jesus is speaking. You see this in Revelation 3, verse 14. It says, write a letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. And this is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. He says to them in verse 15, I know all the things that you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have 
everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. And also buy white garments from me that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So here it is. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. I think sometimes the perception when it comes to following the Lord is that we, we see it as almost like this, this grading scale, if you will. We see it as this, uh, we see it as this perception that, that over here we've got hot, and on the other side over here we've got cold. And there's varying degrees in which we follow the Lord. And if we were to kind of put ourselves maybe somewhere on this scale, we're, we're not hot. You know, our Instagram bio maybe says we're about here, God first, right? We're not cold. Like, we, we gave our hearts to Jesus. Like, we, if, if, you've, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you're like, well, I'm not cold. I mean, my roommate last year, he was probably here. He said he was a Christian, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm... I'm I'm somewhere like I'm, I'm following the Lord. Yeah, I still make mistakes. We all sin. We know that. I'm probably, I came to FC on a Thursday night. I'm probably here, right? I forgot. I went on a mission trip this summer. Here I am, right? That we would, we, we tend to evaluate the behavior of our life as an estimation for the temperature of our relationship with the Lord. Notice what he says in scripture. He he says that that I wish you were either hot or cold. Meaning the the water that came all the way down from that city, by the time it reached Laodicea, it was, you would drink it and you would just, ugh. It would gag you. It was was nauseating. It was worthless. It It was foul. It was not something that you would want. But yet we're like, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I know this is like the super, this is like the missionaries and the pastors because they're perfect, right? Yeah, that was a joke. Okay. Um, but like, I'm somewhere along the, the line here. Like, I, I, I feel like this isn't bad, right? This is a decent spot to be in. But the challenge that we see in Joshua 24, the challenge that we see Elijah giving, the challenge that we see in Revelation, it points to a different picture. It, it, it points to that this, there isn't the scale. He's saying, in following the Lord, it's not a grading scale. There is no middle. There's either one side, oh, that's awkward, or there's the other. He's saying either, either serve the Lord and do it, or serve the God, uh, the, the gods that you, the, the people worshipped in, in Egypt, or the, the God of your ancestors, the gods of where you live. Either, either worship God or worship Baal. Either be hot or either be cold. But the middle really doesn't exist. We, we can't say that we, we follow Jesus and at the same time follow the Lord. There, there, you're either on one side or the other. 
And I, I know this paints a harsh reality that we really don't like. It's uncomfortable. It's unsettling. And I think one of the reasons why it's so unsettling, because let's be honest, we, we experience this thing called FOMO. We're, we're, we want to be on one side, but yet at the same time, we're like, I wonder what they have to offer over there. And we find ourselves in seasons of our life where like, God, you are everything to me. God, you can have my whole life. You can, you can have this season of my life. You, you go to a, a camp or you, you, you're, you're plugged into church, you're serving. But then life happens and you're like, you know what, God, I don't even know. I'm just going to. You sit in my doubt. I just I couldn't believe that you didn't like rescue me from this. I can't believe that 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 person had to die. I can't believe that this happened. And then and our doubts sway us over to this this side. And then we're like, you know what, God, I've got no other options. I am going to follow you. And we think that we can just hang out somewhere in the middle, but it doesn't work that way. And the evaluation is not based on the behavior. The behavior is not what dictates what side of the fence that we are on. It's the posture of our heart. And, and, and this isn't about like striving for perfect behavior. It's about striving and pursuing a perfect father. And there's a huge difference. Because let me, let me, let me be real with you for a second. On this side of the fence, on following the world, on following everything else, there's a whole lot of sin on this side. And over here, there's still a whole lot of sin. But the way that we handle it is different. Our eyes are fixed. Our heart is tuned. And we are pursuing purpose. We are pursuing God with every step of our life. Yeah, we're going to fall. That's, that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need what he did on the cross for you and I. But the posture of our heart is different. And you're like, well, why would he say either be hot or cold? Wouldn't he want just everyone to be hot? It seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? I wish that everyone would. I mean, lukewarm is still not freezing. It's, it's somewhere in the middle. It's okay, right? The reason that he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. It's because he's like, I, I wish you would just do one or the other with everything that you have. Because if you chase after God with everything that you have, then you will have this, this burning passion and desire in your heart to chase after the things of this kingdom. And the, the things that the, enemy throws at, that the enemy throws at you can't stop you, can't hinder you because your eyes are fixed and you've got purpose and you've got passion in your heart. But he's like, if you're not going to be hot, then just be cold. Because if you chase cold with everything that you have, with every ounce of energy that you can expel, the quicker you'll get to the end of yourself. And the quicker you get to the end of yourself, the quicker you'll realize that you need a savior. I've seen cold. I've seen the world, I've seen people in the world who are hot and I've seen people in the world who are cold. Not because of their own actions. My wife just got back from a mission trip in Honduras. We work with a mission organization there that helps rescue women out of prostitution. Some of them at the age of 11, 12, and 13 are sold by their families 
into prostitution. That's all they've known. None of them, a lot of them can't read, they can't write. And they went down and they're, 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 the message of the gospel that they heard for the first time was, was through worship. And these women realize that there is, a, there is a, a God who loves them, who created them, who has an abundant life for them. And so while they may not have realized that there was any hope in, in, in cold, but the minute that, that that beacon of hope was lit into their dark world, they couldn't help but just jump over the fence with everything that they have and say, if there is something greater than over there, then I want that. See, the, I think the tendency is that we can grow up in church, we can grow up hearing about Jesus, but yet not really know him. Because we're so busy just trying to dance this, I can't even do it. Dance this fence back and forth and back and forth. God's like, I wish you would just do one or the other. This next season of your life, one of the deciding factors is not going to be what you study. It's not going to be what organization you're a part of. The deciding factor in this next season of your life is the same question that Joshua is asking. What side are you going to choose? Who are you going to live for in these next four to eight years? You've got to pick one. So what do, you, what do you do? I'm a very practical person. So I've got four things. One is this. It's make a decision to live it out. Simple. It's two options. Make a decision in your life and choose to live it out. What is it that's trying to pull you back towards the middle? What is it, what's making you doubt? What is it that's, that's making you question God's goodness or wonder what's on the other side of the fence? Because sometimes I think it's this idea that we want the blessing of one side, but yet maybe the freedom that the other may offer us. Right? We, we, want, we want the grace of Jesus without maybe the conviction. We want to see signs and wonders and God do miraculous things in us and through us, but yet we don't want to be faithful with the small things. We want significance, but yet we don't want obedience because it's hard. But how you start this journey more than likely is going to be a part of determining how you finish it. It's why in, in teachers, it's, they, they say that the most significant and important day in the entire year is day one. Because day one sets the tone. Week one is all about instilling the principle of consistency. How you start is going to determine how you finish. I know for me, getting into student ministry, I had no idea what I was doing. For me, it was like they asked me to be a youth pastor, and I was like, a what? We answer with the I'll pray about it answer, and, and we, I, we genuinely prayed about it, and we jumped into this journey underqualified, not knowing what I was going to do. Teenagers terrified me, and they smell bad. And I was like, okay, Lord, I mean, I'm going to trust you in this. I mean, how hard can it be, right? <laughs> and I remember so vividly. My first month of being a student pastor, sitting in a car with my wife, 
outside of a mental health institution because one of our students tried to commit suicide. And I remember sitting in the car with my wife just weeping before the Lord, saying, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have, there is nothing that I could possibly say to bring hope to this girl right now. I don't have anything to bring to the table, but God, you are bigger than this. God, you are greater. And God, we are going to trust you to provide. And you know what? That desperation, I feel like, has carried us through ministry. Because it's quite often that I walk into a room that I'm the least qualified person to do what I'm doing. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Because if I have Jesus, if I have the Holy Spirit, and I have a calling from God on my life, you know what? I don't need an accolade. I don't need a stamp of approval from someone else. Because my Heavenly Father has called me to do something, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to run it well. And how you start this next season is going to be crucial in deciding how you finish. The second thing is to trust him with your obedience. Not just with our empty words, not just saying, yes, God, I trust you, but trusting God enough to actually obey him. Not, not waiting, you know what, that's a, that's a good idea. I should, I should probably make a decision, not sit on the fence. You know what, I should probably deal with that issue in my life. Not, not just thinking about it, but actually trusting God enough to do things God's ways. Remember I had another student, randomly enough, I visited him in mental health institution as well, but he had battled all kinds of addictions. He had, he had been ups and downs. He had, he had been all over the place. And I remember one time I, I went over to his house, and uh, he had been trying to, honestly, he was, he, was, he was smoking weed, and he was trying to stop. And he had, he had been on, on everything you could possibly imagine. And he was wrestling with this thing. He, was, he kept going into the world. And he kept trying to follow Jesus. And he's on this fence. And I, I finally was just like, I was like, bro, when are you going to quit? Like, you want to, but when are you going to actually do it? He said, I'm thinking about, like, Tuesday. The trash comes Wednesday, and I can throw stuff away. Then. I'm like, what? Yeah, if I throw it away now, my parents are going to find out. It's just like, so I, think, like I think maybe Tuesday. I'm like, bro, do it now. He's like, what? I was like, Yeah. Do it now. Bring me, bring me all your stuff right now. He's like, okay. Well, it worked. <laughs> and so he, he, he runs upstairs in his room. I hear like doors slamming and drawers opening and things. And he comes downstairs and he sets down like all of these homemade bongs and all of his stuff on the kitchen table. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I was like, is there any more? He's like, yeah. He goes out in the garage. He grabs some more stuff and he's like, and I'm, I'm just baffled. I'm like, this is actually working. This is incredible. And he, he puts it on the table, and I'm like, anymore? Yeah. I hear him in the attic this time. And he comes down, and he sets all this stuff on the table, and he says, you know what? I'm ready. I'm like, dude, I am, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and for wanting to make a change and not just hoping to make a change. I remember leaving his house and driving back to the church, and I was just like, God, thank you. I was looking at that stuff, and I'm like, man, what, a, what an incredible thing for him to take a stand and to do that. 
And I was looking at it, I was like, man, what would happen if I got pulled over right now? <laughs> no, officers, not mine. <laughs> Promise. No, no, no. I'm holding it for a friend, right? I'm throwing it, throwing it away. Like, I was, I was like, how dumb was that? You don't set a date and schedule out a time to deal with your sin. Conviction, real conviction means you deal with it, means you repent, and you do something about it. We got, we got to stop calling it an issue or a thing or a struggle. When you begin to call it what it is that it's a sin, when you begin to call it out for what it is, then you begin to deal with it like it needs to be dealt with. On your knees saying, Father, forgive me. God, give me the strength to work through this. This addiction, this problem, this issue in my life. God, I can't do it myself, but I need the strength from you. Trust him enough to be obedient. Thirdly, submit yourself to the process of being refined. Submit yourself to the process. We serve a God of the process. Look, we're all jacked up. But God loves you enough to not let you stay that way. And God is, look, I understand there's there probably things that you're going through right now in your struggle, in your situation, that you hate and that are painful. And my heart breaks for you. Sometimes God will not rescue us from something because he's wanting to deliver us through it. Because God is wanting to take us through the process and not just short-circuit us to get to the destination. God took the Israelites 40 years to the desert, not because he was waiting for them to jump through hoops, because he was trying to fix their hearts. And the process is not about the behavior modification, it's about the heart modification. This next season of your life is a process. Will you trust him enough to let him take you through it? Fourthly, the last, the fourthly, wow. University of South Carolina Education School. The last question is this, is, is be honest. This is, this is an assessment. Is that are you chasing your calling or your comfort? What is it that you are pursuing with your life? What is it you are pursuing with your energy, with your effort? Is it, is it something comfortable? No one ever reminisces about the times that they played it safe. No one is remembered throughout history for being a world changer because they took it easy and chose comfort. But the people who help expand God's kingdom... The people who, who make a difference, who are wholeheartedly sold out to the message of the gospel, of radically seeing a university transformed, not by, not by pastors, but by people, by the church, by sons and daughters who are called and commissioned with the light of Jesus in them. Those are people who are willing to chase after the calling that God has on their life and not their comfort. I'll leave you with this. In Luke 15, Jesus is telling parables and he's talking to a bunch of religious people. 
It's a well-known parable, but he starts telling the story about, about this guy who had two sons. He says, the, the younger son came to him one day and he says, Dad, you know what? I want my, my share of the inheritance now. Basically, Dad, I wish you're, you're worth more to me if you were dead already. And the father decides to, to give his younger son the, his share of the inheritance. And so a couple days later, the son packs up his stuff and he moves out and he travels and he goes off. And he goes off into a distant land and he lives it up. And he has this lavish lifestyle and goes through all of his money and spends it on wild women and wild living. And pretty soon he gets to the end of himself. And there's a famine in the land and here he is hungry and desperate and alone. And so he gets a job as a Jewish boy feeding pigs, which was deplorable. But he got to the end of cold. He got to the end of a place where he finally saw the pig's food. And he's like, man, that even looks good. And he came to the end of his, the end of his senses. And he said, you know what? Even the servants back at my father's house, they've, they've got food to eat. Maybe if I humble myself and I go back, my dad, he won't accept me as a son. I'm not even going to ask that. But just maybe let me be a servant and let me work and let me have something to eat. The son travels back home to his father, rehearsing the speech of how he's going to apologize, of how he's going to try to make things right. And scripture says that, that while he was still a long way off, that the father was looking and he sees him and he chases after his wayward son. And he embraces him and the son's like, dad, I'm, I'm not worthy to, to be your son. I know that. And the dad stop. You're home. Somebody, get, get a robe, get a ring, put some sandals on his feet. You know what? The fattened calf that was out back we've been saving for Thanksgiving, slaughter that thing. We are going to throw a festival tonight. We're going to celebrate because my son that was dead is now alive. And the other son was actually out work doing what he was always doing in the field. And he heard the music. He heard the commotion. And he's like, hey, what's, what's going on? So he's like, oh, you didn't hear it? Your brother's home. Yeah, yeah, your dad's throwing a huge party. Everybody's celebrating. It's crazy. They're, they're just they're rejoicing. And the older son was bitter. He goes to his dad. He's like, dad, what are you doing? Like, I've been here the whole time. I've never sinned. I've been faithful. God, I've always been here. You've never let me throw a party. You've never, you've never even let me kill a little goat or something to celebrate with my friends. But your, your son who wasted everything, who insulted you, he came back and you celebrated? His dad's like, are you kidding me? My son was lost and now he's found. We will celebrate. We will rejoice because my son that was dead has now come back to You know, I draw a parallel from that parable to say that it's pretty much the truth that all of us in this room tonight are either one of three characters in that story. For some of you, you, you may be the wayward son. You've come to college, you've come to this season, you've got your student loans in hand, you've got mom and dad's money, and you're like, I cannot wait to live it up. I finally have freedom and I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm going to pursue what makes me happy in the here and now. And I'm going to live it up. 
and I'm going to do my own thing. Some of you may be the older son who's always been around the father and has grown accustomed to his love. You know, one of the quickest ways that we can become lukewarm is by being desensitized to conviction, to grace, and the cross. Has the message of the cross lost its wonder in your heart? The older son, he was with the father, but was he really? You could say he was lukewarm. Or some of you tonight are the son who's come home, who is in hot pursuit of his father. I plead with you. everything that is in me to understand the potential that God has in this next season of your life. He's not out to control you or to condemn you. But his arms are open. He's waiting for his sons and daughters to come home. I want to invite the prayer and encouragement team to, to come up. They've, they've, got, they've got glow wristbands. And what I love about FCA is that every single week, they have people down here who are willing to pray for you. So if at any moment throughout the night, as we worship, afterwards, if you need anyone to pray with you, they're here for that. And so my challenge tonight is this, is, is there a decision that you need to make? Maybe, maybe you've, you've been running in one direction and you've been running so hard that you are on the brink of getting finally to the end of yourself and it's time for you to come home. But you would make a decision tonight. If you've grown comfortable to the fact that Jesus surrendered his life on the cross for you and I, We've been so easily pulled back and forth and back and forth. And we're saying, God, I'm ready in this next season to be on a journey with purpose in every step. With my eyes fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of my faith. Because, God, I know that you have greater things in store for my life. But you wouldn't leave here tonight without in some way, shape, or form making a decision. So let me pray with you tonight. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the unmerited and undeserved and uncomprehensible grace that you give us. It costs you everything. never lose sight of your love. May we never lose sight of our first love. 
God, I pray for courage. God, I pray for strength in this next season that you would equip your sons and your daughters to pursue your kingdom with boldness, with courage, with a fire in their hearts to do what you've called them to do. So Jesus, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your grace. Lord, may we live lives that declare your glory. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your mighty name we pray. And everybody said.